0: Hello, I am Carolyn Kassan. I am the Associate Dean and Clinical Professor
1: at the New York University Centre for Global
0: Affairs.
1: I'm Laura Young, also known as Less Waste Laura, and I'm a climate campaigner and environmental scientist. And I cannot wait to bring you the next chapter of this podcast. This is a podcast about the energy transition about tackling the
0: climate crisis and how we can all make a difference.
1: We'll be looking at the projects, the policy and the people who are having the biggest impact on global climate goals. This new season is like a new semester of your net zero class, so very excited to dive into it.
0: On the show today, we'll be looking ahead to what promises to be a huge year in energy and climate. We'll be making some predictions for 2024, what we expect to see and what we'd like to see when it comes to global energy policy.
1: I know, I feel 2024 is just the word election. We've got elections here in the UK, over with you in the US, in India, Mexico, South Africa, the EU, and dozens more. So whatever the results are, though, the impact on global energy policy will be huge. So we wanted to use today, this episode to look ahead at the year that awaits us and explore what the world needs to keep us on track for net zero. So, so important.
0: We're going to be making some predictions. We're going to be making three predictions for the
1: year these are things that we are maybe not that confident with. I'm going to take a stab in the dark, and hopefully, next year we aren't totally wrong. Um, but certainly, something for me that is an absolute prediction for 2024 is seeing a big investment in offshore wind. I think it's going to exponentially increase here in the UK, here over with you in the US as well. And, you know, it's a sector that it's not had the best time recently, but I think that things are really going to change. And they kind of have. Have to as well so over in the UK we have a massive goal to get 50 gigawatts of offshore capacity by 2030 2030 that's really not that far away um you know currently we only have around just under 14 gigawatts so we've got a lot to do but actually there are many projects in the pipeline it's estimated that about 77 gigawatts um, across 80 projects is already in the pipeline which is fantastic news but we know that it takes a long time so we really need to be moving quite quickly with this i'm in dundee and literally just down the road we've got 90 meter tall Pieces of wind turbines all getting built and put together and constructed for an offshore wind farm that's going to be off the coast of Fife. And that is going to be operational this year. It's going to be fantastic. But the site was selected in 2008 and it just makes you take a sit back and go, wow, you know, it's exciting that it's coming, but it's a long time coming to get that. But I do feel like one of the big predictions for this year is just seeing Offshore wind takeoff. I don't know. Is that something that you feel over in the States is something that is also going to be relevant?
0: It's a great question. So I think in the United States, I think we've seen, you know, massive solar deployment. Uh, we've seen a lot of pledges to, um, to install offshore wind. I think offshore wind is encountering some headwinds in the United States. Some of that is due to supply chain constraints. Some of that is due to on the ground politics and dynamics. However, I think you're also sort of seeing um, a recognition by governments, state governments, local governments that, you know, if they want to meet their targets. That they're going to also have to sort of help in this, make up for some of the 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 difference. Uh, so I think the politics politics really matters. You know, given that we've seen such attention through the Inflation Reduction Act, which was again the largest climate re- legislation um, in U.S. history. Uh, you know, 390 billion, some estimates, 1 trillion in total that is going directed towards the clean energy transition. Uh, You know, I think we have a, a kind of a reckoning that we need to do a lot of permitting reform. We need to sort of streamline processes. So, you know, I'm hoping that in 2024, it's like we know what we have to do there's a lot. There's going to be no shortage, uh, Laura, of of things for us to talk about. So we're just going to have to sort of make sure that we restrain ourselves because the topics are um, are many.
1: Yeah. So I mean, that's a that's a prediction. You know, kind of wind, renewable. What other things are you expecting to see in 2024?
0: what I think is really I think critical that we we are already seeing in 2024 is that it's not a if the energy transition is going to happen the energy transition is very much happening this is now this is not just about governments making pledges this is about companies see the opportunities They, they recognize that this is the present and it's the future so we're seeing it across the board we're seeing it in utilities we're seeing it in companies in terms of how they're thinking about their their, uh, their carbon emissions. We're just we're seeing so much change happening. That's why I love the fact that you know this is the clean energy revolution. This is something that we see this as a revolution that's you know not just sort of changing the the energy landscape, but it's really sort of changing the political landscape it's sort of changing what gets talked about you talked about elections in 2024 i mean climate is going to be a very big part of campaigns the energy is is really has kind of catapulted to a top priority area for um for people around the world so it's yeah i'm i'm excited i i look forward to sort of seeing but i i think that it's going to be a year where um yeah, we continue to see high levels of investment. We'll see, you know, some hurdles, but um, but I think that the the road is uh, is generally a, a good one looking forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But you know, I think in the same breath as saying there's going to be lots of investment, there's also going to be some tough hurdles to to overcome. You know, another prediction. My sort of final prediction that I was thinking about 2024. You know, the words that spring to mind, we've got elections, I've thrown in wind, we've got investment. One of the words though, to me that just keeps coming back again and again, here in the UK especially, is retrofit. And when we think about net zero, we just need to think about retrofitting. We have some really old infrastructure that is just not up to the standard of energy efficiency. So when we talk about you know generating amazing new green clean electricity or energy we also need to not waste it we need it to not be you know escaping through the walls and through the windows through drafty doors and so I think there's going to be a big push here in the UK to get our infrastructure up to standard and you know there's about 12.5% of homes that don't even have double glazing about 50% of homes don't even have insulation. And we've got three quarters of homes still using gas central heating. So we've really got this mountain to climb when it comes to getting our infrastructure. And, you know, I'm okay, so I'm sitting in my flat, which is a tenement flat. So it's a block of about, you know, eight flats, eight apartments. And it's old. It's over 100 years old. You know, It can't really get insulated that well, that easily. I've got double glazing, that's a good start. But actually, you feel the heat escaping. And I've got a gas boiler, and so do most people. So the actual infrastructure itself is a bit of a nightmare. It's very leaky. But then when you add on the complexity of, so I'm physically in a building with eight apartments, that's eight different owners. That's potentially some people living where they own or people renting. It's an absolute nightmare just to get the stairs swept, let alone, you know, do some big infrastructure projects. So I really think that's something that's going to be a 2024 hurdle um, is actually looking at the infrastructure and saying, how do we change that? And, and it you know, goes for other things as well stuff like electric car charging infrastructure you know we can't keep just building new places we'll need to be looking at really clever innovations to say if we are going to be moving to net zero and getting people away from petrol and diesel cars especially now that low emission zones are becoming a lot more common here in the UK people need to be able to charge their car. Another great thing about being in a 10 flat, I don't have a driveway, so I couldn't put in a charger even if I wanted to. So I think we're going to see a lot of, particularly, you know, councils, municipalities saying, let's get creative with how we can put in some of these charging things. We've got... Electric Avenue in London, where they're putting it into lampposts. We've got BT, which is a sort of broadband internet provider um, with a lot of old green boxes on the pavements, the sidewalks for you Americans, saying, you know, we could put some of this infrastructure in alongside what we're already doing. And so I think it's, you know, really trying to think about that, you know, for, for all this old infrastructure and for all these old cities that we have, how do we bring the clean energy revolution into a place that is old and definitely not up to speed.
0: That's excellent. Yeah, no, there's so much on the infrastructure front. and I'm gonna throw out one more thing that I've been thinking a lot about, and hopefully we maybe we can cover it in uh, one of the upcoming episodes, is um, so much new conversation about artificial intelligence, right, AI. And so I also think that 2024, one of the big topics for discussion, debate, how companies are thinking about using AI, also in thinking about climate, thinking about climate modeling. However, However, just to kind of throw in that other side, I think the other side that is starting to get attention is kind of understanding um, data centers as being very energy intensive. So sustainability around data centers, faculty are like, what are we going to do about chat GBT? And it's here, right? It's not a matter of will students use it or will, you know, it's like how they're going to use it and how we think about it. There's the other side of data centers that's really, really important is the electricity, the power, and the water. So I think that is a really critical point of uh, discussion as we sort of think about the clean energy revolution. Because if you're Microsoft, if you're Google, if you're Amazon, you're any big company that has sort of lots of data and lots of demand for operational data. And um, you know, the cartwheels, the the jumping jacks sort of going to be done using uh generated AI, we're going to absolutely need to be um, really thinking. So I think that's going to be kind of a um, an underappreciated risk, but an opportunity in the um in the clean energy space is how data centers which are very energy intensive. Sort of how they how they think about their operations.
1: Yeah, I feel we all ditched paper in the office, thinking it was going to be sustainable, and now we've got this, you know, whole new world of yeah, actually putting stuff in a folder online doesn't necessarily have no carbon footprint, and sometimes it's hidden you know it's something that's kind of been unveiled so absolutely you know prioritizing where our energy is used is going to be absolutely vital and that's why these efficiency measures are going to be so important because we don't just need to keep generating endless amounts of energy we need to be looking and saying where can we save it and where can we direct it and okay some big predictions for 2024 but we were not the only ones to make some predictions out at cop 28 in dubai National Grid had some delegates who have made some predictions as well. And so I thought we could have a listen and yeah, see if we agree, disagree. Um, So here we go, let's play the first one.
0: My predictions for energy and climate in 2024 are that we're going to continue the dialogue that we have been having. We We had a shift towards deployment and that shift is going to continue. We'll see a lot more collaboration
1: than we have had And uh, we will deploy a lot more renewables than we have had in the past. And we hopefully
0: will change the paradigm on the regulatory regime, looking at what is needed rather than what is now, the system that is now, that was designed for a very different purpose and not to achieve the energy transition. We have Rehana Irani-Famil, she's a VP of Clean Energy Development and Infrastructure
1: Investment and National Grid. Laura, your thoughts? Okay, good start. Rouhani has the same as us thinking about renewable energy. So that is obviously a huge thing. And at COP28, it was in the first few days that this announcement came. You know, it was an amazing advancement of these negotiations so absolutely brilliant but I agree wholeheartedly about collaboration no one company is gonna do the clean energy revolution or get us to net zero no one initiative is gonna get us there so collaboration is key and I think we are at a point where companies are ready you know there's an appetite and I particularly think that when you speak to people who are in the traditional energy industry, especially young people, you know, people who have kind of recently graduated university and maybe moved into that sort of engineering field or geology field or, you know, kind of skilled workers who maybe work on oil and gas, oil rigs, whatever it may be, there is an appetite for them to move over, to to use their skills. And so I think, yeah, the time is ripe for that. So I'm glad we're on the same track. Um, what does collaboration, yeah, what does it mean for you? Is that is that something you think is really vital?
0: Oh, 100%. I really appreciated what she said and her um, attention one to collaboration because I think COP28 was a perfect example, right? You had really sort of strong turnout from the private sector. You had, of course, massive, you know, 196 governments, right, who were represented. And then, of course, you have civil society. So it very much is about all the stakeholders that are involved. So that collaboration, I thought that she really addressed that. And they, you know, the focus on deployment, right, because we kind of now know what we have to do. And we saw that, you know, 2023 was a record year for deployment of renewable energy. And we're going to need every year to be a record year for deployment. Uh, and I also really appreciate her um, focus on equity and justice, like the just transition. Um, and I think that's uh, you know something that we kind of constantly have to be sort of coming back to, to kind of address the affordability and and and, and access question. But yeah, I thought it was um, I appreciated her uh, sort of attention to kind of the all of the above, the collaboration, the deployment, justice. Uh, all really important
1: okay so number one wholeheartedly agree from us but what about this one here's the next one so my predictions in 2024 for energy and climate change i think it's going to be an interesting year because we have general elections in both the uk and the us and they're two areas that we operate in i think that's probably going to mean that energy and climate change are part of those election campaigns and particularly a focus on energy security and how much the transition is going to cost. If that's an external perspective, then the internal perspective for national grid is a really positive one, because we just have a lot to do. We have a lot of growth. We have a lot of building we need to do of new grids, both um, onshore and offshore in the UK and the US. So it's going to be a really busy year for us.
0: That was Rian Kelly, Chief Sustainability Officer at National Grid. It was like her just super positive. And again, I think, you know, as a Chief Sustainability Officer, she also addressed, you know, some of the challenges, right, that we have as Laura, as you pointed out, 2024, historic year for elections. And I have to say, because this is kind of a, this is like a a topic that I'm so interested in, and I I know we'll be talking about it um, in in this season, is grids. You know, when we think about deployment, we have to be constantly thinking about grids because I can say here in the United States, you know, we need to be expanding the grid in order to sort of, you know, meet the uh, the new demands that are coming when we're thinking about electrification. So I was like, when I listened to her, I was 100% sort of nodding my head. Yes, yes, yes.
1: Yeah, very solutions focused. And I think that's absolutely what we need. But I mean, if I can even just throw out a worry, though, and I think this is something big, you know, for 2024, all of these elections one of the biggest political footballs globally is environmental issues, right? And I think it's something that we might see this year, you know, kind of big, whether it's for energy policy or green infrastructure, green jobs, issues even just down to locally, what's happening in your local area. There is a, you know, a big risk that all of these things become political footballs instead of what really we should be saying is the science is clear, we all need to act across the political spectrum and here's some really great opportunities. But, you know, I did like her optimism, her solutions-based approach, you know, really looking at here's what we need to do and, and almost that hopeful, you know, we, we do have the solutions. We know what we need to do. We just need to make sure that we're, you know, putting it in place and doing it at the scale that we need as well, you know, not kind of shying away from how big this is going to be the the challenge but actually you know that we're up for it um, which I think is great and you know having that tripling of renewable energy and doubling energy capacity coming out of COP28 is the best launch pad that, that we could have hoped for globally so yeah A++ plus, but definitely with a you know kind of we really need to be looking at how all of this is messaged especially in the campaigning that is going to be happening this year.
0: So one of the key pledges coming out of COP so far is tripling renewable energy by 2030 and doubling energy efficiency. These are really seminal and we need them to make the transition. In 2024, speaking for the UK and the US, which is our key markets, I think that needs to be the year when we put in place the enablers to hit that target. 2030 is not as far away as it used to be. We've got to work really, really fast to hit that target. We would like to see a commitment to phasing out unabated fossil fuels. You know, at the end of the day, that is where we need to end up. We all know that. In our business, we've signed up to one and a half degree targets from SBTI across all our business units. And for our gas utilities in the US, we have a clean energy vision which will completely decarbonise those networks in a sustainable, cost-effective way by 2050, if not before. So that was Ben Wilson, Chief Strategy and Regulation Officer for National Grid. You know, I I think this idea that the transition is we're on it, that this is, you know, we need to be sustaining it and, you know, moving it forward. So uh, and also to your, uh, Laura, to your earlier point, I think that's really important, which I, you know, I think we're playing a role here is like, how do we communicate? I think we need to be able to better communicate what the energy transition means. And so because this, again, is such a pivotal year, I think that kind of communication is crucial critical so that it doesn't become, you know political football, right? It doesn't become, um, you know, instrumentalized in a in a way that sort of um, uh, it, that puts obstacles ahead of the transition that's underway.
1: Yeah. And you know something that I like that's been mentioned by a few of these predictions is when we talk about whether it's the tripling of renewable energy or growing the grids, we aren't shying away from also saying though fossil fuels have to go you know we need to be transitioning those away because I think sometimes what can happen is we focus on the great new technology that's you know down the road we you know, focus too much on how much renewable energy we can make, but we don't talk about the other side of the coin, which is what needs to be moved away from. And, you know, it's, it's good to hear that at COP28 and COP27, you know, we had that language slowly coming in. And I think that's always just something to make sure that we remember, you know, to always be thinking about what also we are moving away from at the same time as moving towards.
0: And finally, let's hear from Sandy Grace, the Vice President of U.S. Policy and Regulatory Strategy at National Grid. My predictions for energy and climate in 2024 is that we're going to have a renewed commitment to focusing on an energy transition that's just and equitable, which means that it's affordable and it's clean and it provides access and benefits to all. And so again, these were sort of big, um, big headlines out of COP twenty eight. Is that you know the affordability question is is a is a big one. Again, I think it goes back into the politics, right? If if the consumer has to pay higher prices, then of course that's going to be a setback. So we have to make sure that um, that. The accessibility um, of energy is um, is paramount, and that it's affordable, so that we are bringing more clean energy options and opportunities into um, into the system. And again, going back also to that idea of the just. And the equitable, um, you know, kind of understanding that this is, you know, one of the things that I kind of talk about in my classes is that this is not a energy transition. This is like energy transitions, many different starting points. Um, and I think that's really critical. I maybe one point of difference, Laura, that I think we'll probably kind of get into is um, is the is the phase down and the phase out of fossil fuels and um how quickly it can happen um because unfortunately 2023 was you know a record year for um for also oil for natural gas and for coal consumption so you know i think this is going to um it's 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 going to be part of the transition um but probably not quickly um phasing out um but starting to phase down absolutely
1: yeah and you know I live that reality. If tomorrow we turn the tap off, I can't heat my house. (laughs) I can't can't get to work. Um, And so, you know, totally understand that. And I think that is something that we need to communicate that really well. What do we mean when we say phase down, phase out? What does that actually look like? And it goes back to that retrofit point. You know, we can't just turn things off without actually putting in place. Um, And yeah, I loved what Sandy said about keeping people at the heart of it it's about the affordability it's about that transition Um, and I think you know the thing I always like to try and remember is you know when we talk about net zero you know climate just you know when we talk about carbon emissions whenever we talk about these terms we're not just talking about imaginary floating greenhouse gases um, or icebergs with a little polar bear on it or a forest somewhere that's on fire. We're talking about people. We're talking about the impacts to people. And we know that globally people are impacted by climate change every day. So we need to have that in mind. But I think also we need to think about all of these changes that we're making and the changes and the benefits that that brings to people. So, you know, quite often when we talk about going back to that retrofitting point, putting in double glazing and putting in insulation. We're not talking about that just so that we can save some carbon emissions. We're talking about that so that people can afford to put their heating on because it's not just escaping we're talking about that because we want people to live in a house that's warm that's watertight that's not gonna be growing mold you know it's a a health issue it's a public health issue it's a people issue and so I think you know I love that there is always that thought about people and justice equity accessibility affordability because that really is why we're doing all of this it's about people and it's about living standards so yeah absolutely love that, that that was brought in and and quite like the diversity of all the different predictions and, and thoughts and, and takeaways from COP28 and these different national good delegates.
0: Yeah, I loved it as well. And I, you know, again, all, all, all of them sort of brought the pragmatism. I want to add at one point, because this has stuck with me. Um, last summer, I worked with some high school students and they were looking at the energy transition and one of them, when I asked, you know, why are you spending the summer? It was a six-week program. Why are you spending the summer doing this? And his his answer was that he wants to live in a city that has clean air. He wants to be a—he wants to, like—he wants— and. You know, it's we have massive energy justice issues here in in New York City. And, you know, he said, like, my neighborhood, you know, the air quality is worse than in other places. And he wanted to he so he as a high schooler um, is kind of committing. He planning to kind of take that route because he really wants to be involved So that really stayed with me also in terms of what I do, why I do what I do um, and kind of understanding that this is this is you know this has so many implications uh, for for all of us
1: yeah what a powerful story and I think when we talk about cop 28 hundred thousand people going to Dubai to talk about big massive change that's needed and targets, I think it is yeah really important to keep that person to keep that young high school student that's looking at their local area and thinking i want to make a difference like that's yeah very powerful very powerful there we go that is episode one of season three and there's so much to come but carolyn what are we discussing next episode
0: On the next episode, we revisit the pledge made last year at COP28 to triple renewable energy capacity by 2030. Are we on track for this? How do we make sure the grid can cope with this increased demand? Interesting to note, Laura, that this year, for the first time, a third of global energy generation will come from renewables.
1: Okay, lots to talk about. Well, it has been a pleasure and I will see you on the next episode. For more
0: information and to listen to Seasons 1 and 2 of The Clean Energy Revolution, you can go to nationalgrid.com.